Okay. All right. Good morning, everybody. It's nice to have you here with us. And those that are joining us from Christian Coffee Time or uh, others joining in on this broadcast, we just thank you. We're in uh, the book of Matthew. We're going to go back to Matthew. We've been going through the, uh, the Gospels chronologically, but we're going to just jump back there this week. Uh, and then next week we'll get back to Daniel and our history lessons and such from Daniel and the prophecies and such. We'll do that next week, but right now I'm going to go to Matthew chapter uh, 18 is where we're at. So get your uh, Bibles open and get some writing materials. There's a lot of references back and forth and that sort of thing. Okay. Um, we need to have a word of prayer, so let's just pray just for a moment, then we'll continue. Our Father in heaven, again, we give thanks, Lord. Uh, help us, Lord, here as we look into the Bible. You know, it's spiritually discerned. Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, you'll guide us. And uh, we just pray that Jesus Christ be praised in all that we do and say here now. We thank you for your word, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to have a look, as I said, at, uh, um, at a little bit here in chapter 18. It goes on for quite a ways. I don't know how far we're going to go. Um, we're going to back up a little bit, first of all, because there's something very interesting going on here. You'll notice the first four words of chapter 18 at that time. Okay, When you see that word right there, time, it, it literally is hour. At that hour, at that very time and hour, okay, something else happened here. If we want to back up a bit, I know a few weeks ago, you know it's been a month ago since we looked at the principle of acquiescence? A month. How many were here for that? I think I was too. Yeah. Right. Boy, time goes by so fast, eh? We want to back up a little bit because this <clears throat> principle of acquiescence in this um, bit in chapter 17 from verse 24 to the end sets up this, what's taking place right here. So we're going to back up, and it's always a good thing for us to back up and just go over the, uh, um, um, the stuff that went uh, uh, on before. Now we know that um, they're in Capernaum, and uh, back at the, uh, um, kind of their central, where they were centered out from, there was a house there. I'm not sure if it was Peter's or whose house it was, but that was the center for them. They would gather there and live there. And out of Capernaum, they went did a lot of the ministry and, and such. But remember the um, the ones that collected the tax with that tribute money. It was a temple tax. They came to Peter, and uh, maybe Peter was there by himself or whatever. Um, they came to him, um, um, and they said, "Does your master pay tribute?" Now the thing about that was we aren't told if the Lord Jesus had been paying this temple tax previously or not, it doesn't sound like it. It sounds like uh, he may have done in, in past years or something, but at this particular time, this was the fall here, and he had missed that, or he had not paid it, or maybe he wasn't paying it at all. And so they come to Peter, and they, they ask Peter, does your master pay this tribute? And you remember Peter says one word, yes. Okay, so we, we looked at this and we saw that Peter had really stepped out, he, he, he really stepped in it. He's uh, stuck his neck out, he's out on a limb, and he says, yes, he does, when the Lord Jesus had not paid it. So Peter's got a bit of a problem, and he goes back, you see it says he goes to the house. So he goes to the house that, uh, it might have been, like I said, it might have been his, I don't really know whose it was. Um, and the Lord Jesus is there. The other disciples are not there. And the interesting thing was that uh, Peter had done something. I think he's done something wrong here. It seems to indicate that he's, he's stepped out into something. The Lord Jesus had not been paying it. 
And Peter says, yes, he does. And so he goes into the house, and we saw that um, immediately, he says, the Lord prevented him. It means the Lord came up to him, and he walked right up to him as soon as he came in the house, and the Lord initiated the conversation. Peter wasn't able to say anything, explain himself. The Lord knew all about it, didn't he? We take, from, we take all kinds of things out of this for ourselves. The Lord knows all about it. But we see here how the Lord's going to help Peter, how he's going to stand with Peter, how he's going to stand up for Peter, and he's going to see that Peter isn't made a fool of or any other such thing, or he's not going to be seen to be a liar or anything like that. So the Lord's <clears throat> talking to uh, Peter about um, the kings of the earth and the king's children and, and such. Do they pay this tax? And the answer, obviously, is no. The king and his children are exempt. In other words, Jesus doesn't have to pay this, does he? And that was the point. So we have here what's called the principle of acquiescence, is just to go ahead and do something that you don't really have to do. It's something that uh, is not your, uh, it's not upon you to do this thing. But Jesus says to Peter, um, unless we offend them, what, we're going to pay it. And now he told Peter to go fishing, go catch this fish, and in the fish's mouth would be this drachma, this uh, uh, um, coin, which was, we saw last time that it was worth about two days' uh, uh, wages and so on and so forth. And he says, and, what, and we have the principle of acquiescence here that he's going to do this thing although he doesn't need to. You know what's one of the prime lessons in Christianity? It's not about you, it's not about me, it's about others. And we might be asked things to to do things that, well, I don't have to do that. That's not my job or whatever. But acquiescence. The Lord Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, says, well, we'll just pay it. We'll just pay it. Didn't have to. He's not insisting on his rights. That's the definition of meekness, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Not insisting on one's own rights. Okay? So that's one of the big lessons here, but there's another lesson in here, and we saw it last time. This is one of what I wanted to get at. At the end of it, he says, Peter, go fishing and take up the first fish that comes up and take this coin out of his mouth and take that. And it was enough to pay for two people. It was worth four drachmas, uh, which was basically four days' wages. What, what, what is this? A, somebody lost a big... Well, there's another thing. Was this a miracle? Did God just plant it there? Or did somebody lose it or whatever? Anyways, he has this coin... And the Lord says to Peter, take this and give it to them for me and thee. Okay. Now we took from that last time that we looked at this, how that we're never alone. Remember the Apostle Paul in Mamertine Dungeon? He said, at my first answer, no man stood with me. Nevertheless, the Lord stood by me. Which means literally to stand at my elbow with. You are never alone. You're never alone. No matter what the, what the uh, problem is, no matter what the uh, circumstances are, the Lord will be with the believer, right? We know that, okay? I wanted to read something to you here this morning. I, I came across this. It keeps popping up on my, on my desk. My desk is full of books and things. But this keeps coming to the top. Me and thee. When we were in Bible school, um, it, was, it was a tough time at the first while uh, for us. My young brother Stephen had just died in a car accident a few months earlier. And it was tough. It was really, really tough. And one of the uh, fellows in my class came. His name's Tim McDonald. And Tim, if you're uh, 
happened to come across this uh, video, I still have the tract, okay? I still have it. It's helped me a lot. Um, he gave me this tract, and it says, For this I have Jesus. Now, we know it in our heads, don't we? And we should know it in our hearts. But sometimes we just need an encouragement from somebody else, eh? Let me just read this to you. You've got a problem. You've got a difficulty. You've got something going on in your life. We talk about... Um, the sinner's prayer, it's not some magical incantation. But I'll tell you, there are some words that are kind of like magic. And there's some right there. For this I have Jesus. Let me read this to you. It's just a small little track, and then we'll get going on our lesson here. For this I have Jesus. Many years ago in a small church in Ireland, a message was given in which the minister said that Jesus' words, abide in me and I in you, mean simply, mean mean to simply say in every circumstance, for this I have Jesus, and Jesus will say, for this you have me. While he was speaking, a telegram was delivered to the young pianist. <clears throat> it read, Mother very ill, take the first train home. At the conclusion of the message, she shared the telegram with me, and she added, I have never traveled alone, but for this I have Jesus. I must take the midnight train, but for this I have Jesus. I must cross the channel and make connections on the other side, but for this I have Jesus. Then I take the long train trip to the south of England, but for this and all the, and all the suspense along the way, I have Jesus. As she spoke these words, we saw the light of heaven upon her face. Several weeks later, a, let a letter came from her which uh, was a song of praise. She wrote, as I traveled that long, sorrowful journey, I continued to say, for this I have Jesus, and he answered, for this you have me. As I reached home, my sister fell sobbing on my shoulder, saying, oh, if you had come ten minutes sooner, you would have seen mother, who so longed to see you. Instantly I looked up and said, for this I have Jesus. And he came between me and my sorrow, and vain regrets had no power over me. We had never had a death or a funeral in our family, and they all depended on me for every decision. Acknowledging my ignorance, I said softly, For this I have Jesus. And he gave me his wisdom for every detail. There was also his perfect peace for all legal matters that needed attention. Now life has become joyous and victorious, as in every circumstance I continue to say, For this I have Jesus. Christian reader, what is the circumstance in your life today that is beyond your control? Is it sorrow, sickness, suffering, fear, unsaved relatives, disappointment, discouragement, guidance, finances, misunderstanding, or another trial? You also can look into his face and say, For this I have Jesus. And he will say, For this you have me. If you don't get anything else out of this today, just get that. And it really works, folks. It really, really works. Just say the words. Whatever the thing is, for this I have Jesus. And look up to Him and look to Him. I have Jesus. Do you have Jesus today? Do you have Jesus Christ in your heart? It's not enough to know something about Jesus. You must have Him in your heart. Trusting Jesus with all your heart. And who He is, He's the Son of God that went to the cross of Calvary for the sins of the whole world died on that cross, gave his life for everybody, past, present, and future, because he's God manifest in the flesh, he can do that. Was buried in the tomb, rose from the dead on the third day, and God holds out his hand and says, will you trust 
Will you believe in Christ Jesus, my Son? Will you take Jesus Christ as your Savior and believe with all of your heart? That's how you get saved. In all the troubles of life, you can say, For this I have Jesus. Now that's what was being taught to Peter. That's what was being taught to Peter, me and thee. That I'm here for you, Peter. I'm here to help you in the circumstances. We forget that sometimes, don't we? We sometimes go on and we get, oh yeah, I should ask the Lord. First thing, first thing should be me and thee. So there's the background here, what's taking place. Now we don't know if Peter had left the house yet, or if he'd gone fishing yet, or if he'd taken the, the money and paid the tax yet. But somewhere in there, we don't know if Peter was even in the house, and it says in chapter 18 and verse 1, at the same time, or at that, that, that very hour, here comes the rest of the disciples. Maybe Peter went fishing, maybe he saw them on the way and told them what had happened, how Jesus had taught him these things and said these things. We, we don't know. And there's several different scenarios that could be there, but we know that they weren't there, but something stirred them up. I wonder, I just wonder if they met Peter on the way and he told them and then it starts, you know how it just flares up inside that old jealousy kind of thing? At the same time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now why would they say that? I think because of these things that the, the Lord had dealt with Peter about, they had heard. Now we aren't told that, we just have to assume that or interject that somehow there. That they heard that Peter and the Lord had been talking. And I think they became jealous and pride kind of rears up its ugly head here. Now, can you imagine if you were there and you could watch the Lord's face? He had just been teaching Peter some of the most wonderful, they're basic, but the most wonderful lessons that a person can learn. The principle of acquiescence and I will never leave you nor forsake you. These are deep things, basic things, important things. The rest of them come along and say, well, which one of us is the greatest? Now, did the Lord get angry? Say, you dummies. You know, I don't think he did at all. I think he just smiled and said, these are my children. These are mine. And at some point in time, they're going to understand too. They're going to come along and they're going to understand. But you get the scenario, you see what's taking place here. Who is the greatest? Well, the jealousy would come up, uh, um, the pride would come up, and uh, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? We were going to look at the kingdom of heaven here as a rabbit trail, but I don't think we have time. I think we've spent up too much time on the introduction, so we're going to leave that, the kingdom of heaven, uh, just to... Suffice to say that the kingdom of heaven is looked for often as a future uh, event where the Bible says that um, so many times that it's a spiritual thing right now. Uh, when we're saved, we are translated from the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And on and on. Let me just read a couple of verses to you. Um, and as you go and preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand and the time is fulfilled that the kingdom of God 
preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are the same thing. It's not to, we're not to be looking to that future, way off in the future thing, when that's a physical thing. Right here and right now, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. It does not come with observation. If we take that other idea, that other view, that it's a future thing, then we're going to miss a lot of portions of Scripture, for instance, the Sermon on the Mount. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So they had a problem here. We go from, from a, a, a tremendously deep and wonderful teachings and such here, and then we get this. But you know, don't we do that? Well, maybe you don't. I do. Say dumb things, do dumb things before the Lord, and He doesn't come along and, does He? Well, He might in a sort of a way, but He doesn't really, does He? He's kind, and He's gracious, and He's patient, and He loves us so much, we can't even understand it. Like I said, I think He even smiled at the disciples. It's like little children would be talking like that, and He's just smiling. What does the Lord do? He's going to teach them now. He's going to show them. He's going to teach them. And in verse 2, And Jesus called a little child unto him. Okay, a little child. Um, so they're, they're uh, there, whether the child was in the house or not, or whatever, but he calls this child over. You can picture Jesus there, and the disciples are there. He calls this child over and sets him in the midst. Did you catch that? He sets the child in the midst of them. He had called the child over to him. Sometimes the Lord calls us to do things. Sometimes it might not be very much. Sometimes he calls us and he doesn't ask us to say anything. You just be there. That child was not asked to speak. But the child was obedient to what the Lord asked and just came and stood in just a humility. All that harmless, humble little child standing there but an application for ourselves, God asks us sometimes just to do some very simple things. Sometimes, don't even hardly speak, but just be a presence. When you're out in this world, you're going to be out in the midst of them. You go to work, you're in the midst of them that need to hear the gospel. And they need to see you behaving properly, talking properly. They just need this. They need to hear you know, and that thing up in the hall there says, uh, we must be careful for some, we may, be, we may be the only Bible that some people ever read, you know. We just take that application in the midst. That little child came and just stood there beside Jesus. So we're, and the child was in the midst. Jesus is in the midst of the disciples. They're all around him. Oh, the lessons here for us, or the applications you could say. He's there. He's in the midst. And he says, where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst. Where is he today? He's in the midst. Yes, he dwells in here. And he's in the midst of this service right here. He's with us all the time. That's what he was saying to Peter. For me and thee, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll always be there. But at the same time, the time of Jesus teaching Peter these, uh, the principle of acquiescence and such, we see the disciples coming along and kind of almost upsetting the whole thing. Jesus calls this little child, and the child responds humbly and obediently. Remember, the child is the lesson. Except you become as children, like this child. You, when I say something, 
My pastor used to say, if the Lord told me to stand on my head in the corner and spit nickels, I'm going to try. <laughs> kind of silly, but, but the child came. And no matter what the Lord may ask of you, you should come to Him. First of all, salvation, right? You've got to be saved. Come to the Lord for salvation. And then every day, every day, as the Apostle Paul said to the Lord, Lord, what, how do you say it? What hast thou to do? What, what do you have me to do? What was it again? Um, Lord, what will you have me to do? We need to ask him every day. So Jesus set him in the midst. And like I said, he wants us to be in the midst. And we are in the midst of this old world round about us. We often plan our lives and plan things about in great detail and such. And we need to listen to the Lord and just ask Him, Lord, what do you, what do you want me to do? What do you want of me, Lord? Then He says in verse 3, He calls the child and sets him in the middle, right there amongst all these, uh, these men. And he says, Verily I say unto you. Now that word verily right there is literally the word amen. We often say that means truly, truly, but that's, that's right. It may be so, but it's, a, it's the amen right there. Amen I say unto you. Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Become as converted. Now we can look at that. He's talking about um, the change a fundamental change that comes over a person when they get saved. Mm -hmm. I've seen it, you've seen it. And that story I've told uh, many times about we're in the, um, we're at Bible school, we're over in, uh, um, across the border in Maine at one of the prisons there, and uh, jail thingy, and about the fellow that was in there for murder. And he got saved through a Bible study that some were doing. Great big man, big. Nothing wrong with having a beard, fellas. But he had a beard and he was big. And we were done. He came over and we were shaking hands. I'll never forget his hands. Like, that big. <laughs> he was just as meek and as gentle as could be. He was a changed man. He says, I know the Lord has forgiven me, but he must pay the consequences. To be in jail for, like, I think it was 25 years or whatever. Except you be converted. The word converted right there means to be turned around. To be turned around and faced the different direction. When you get saved, you're turned around from the world, from your sins. You turn your back and on your sins and all that. You just turn away. You turn to the Lord. Okay. That belief in Jesus Christ that causes a fundamental change in the person. And he says, except ye become as children, except ye be converted and turn to him and become as children. Because the Lord's saying it like that, like it's just a natural thing. If a person is born again, if a person is saved, they are going to be different than they were. Amen? Amen. That's what he's saying. People can take this and, and look at it. Um, and see what their attitude towards sin is, for instance, and so on and so forth. He says, except you be, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. I feel sorry today, uh, we were talking about those that don't believe in um, eternal salvation, that uh, they have to work somehow, 
keep themselves. Yes, Jesus paid for my sins on the cross, but I must keep myself now. That's not salvation. That's you doing it. That's not salvation at all. You're making yourself this, this. When the Spirit of God comes in here, He will change you. He will change you. He says, Whosoever shall humble himself as this little child, the same as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So he's answered their question, and he showed them a wonderful, a wonderful, a deep uh, uh, teaching here to humble himself. It's up to the individual in the sense that allow yourself to be used, allow yourself to be taught, allow the Spirit of God to lead you, and so on and so forth, to be humbled. And he goes on and talks about, about receiving uh, one such child in, in my name and so on and so forth. We're not going to go that far here today. But for us to think about and remember the teachings here, back in the, uh, the teaching about the, the principle of acquiescence, goes along with this child. The child is not insisting on its rights. The child is just quiet and humble and such. It may not always be the case. Children aren't always like that. But this is the attitude that the Lord says should adorn you if you've been saved. If you're a child of mine, you should be like that, that humility. And I suppose we don't learn that right off the bat. It's, it takes time and such, doesn't it? And as you study your Bible, as you pray, and as you walk with the Lord, and as you see not this old world, you see the people, as you're in the midst, and you've got a message for them, and every day the Lord wants to use you. He says, come on now, every day, let's go. Let's go be in the midst of them. You get up, and you get out, and you do whatever it is you do. And remember, you're there for the Lord. You're that child in the midst of this world, showing them how somebody is different. And especially today, uh, things like humility and meekness and such like that, you certainly don't see that. That's not, the, what, the, not what the world is teaching, is it? It's not that kind of an attitude when Jesus Christ, and He's showing what, what He is like. That meekness, that humbleness. The Bible's a tremendous book, isn't it? It's the Word of God. Whoever shall humble himself as his little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I think we're just going to end right there, and we'll pick this up down the road after we're done the studies of Daniel and come back to this. So let's just, just recap, so to speak. Uh, don't forget that each lesson kind of does run into the next one. Uh, the context of this verse 1 is we have to go back to the previous bit and look at it. You're studying your Bible, you just don't take a, a little bit, like a, a verse here and a verse there. You've got to get the context, you've got to see the flow of it from one uh, lesson to the next and such. But we see in this overall, we see the Lord Jesus Christ, we see His love for us, we see His kindness, we see His care, how He was with the disciples. I don't know about you, but I am so glad that the Lord is graceful. He indeed looks beyond our faults. We saw our need for the cross of Calvary, but every day, folks, every day, He sees the need. And He knows that we are like those disciples. We just sometimes come before Him we're just talking about things that, who's the greatest? I think it's me. No, that's me, it's me. And yet, our God is so kind and loves us so much. That's what you need to grab hold of today.
for this, I have Jesus. For all the problems, the difficulties, good times and the bad times. Don't forget that little track for these few words. For this, I have Jesus. He'll never let us down. Amen? But let's pray. We're done. Our Father, we just want to thank you now, Lord. We thank you for these uh, few things for us to look at here. Uh, we just pray to be something for somebody, Lord, to make a difference. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for your grace and your goodness. And we thank you for all things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We'll see you next time, folks. Bye now.